Welcome into the fourth installment of the CFF site's preseason preview series with today. We are looking at the Big 12, and as always, I am fr- uh, joined by my partner, Mike. Mike, we've, we've knocked out three conferences already. We've got the Big 12. We'd like to say short but sweet. There's only 10 teams in this conference, but there are a few things uh, that, that, you know, there's a lot of change within the conference uh, at some schools, some programs in regards to coordinators that are really going to turn the offenses on their head. And uh, we're going to get into those today. Any any initial thoughts on the Big 12 as we look at it just from a, from a broad perspective? Give it a brief overview before we go team by team. What do you mean? I'm on mute. Uh, I uh, Yeah, I mean, Big 12, always exciting with these, these offenses. And, and we have some uh, changes at offensive coordinator that might make it even more exciting um, for particularly us with college fantasy and Kind of with Conference USA, like this is the, you said, you mentioned this is short and sweet today, but this is the last time it's going to be short and sweet because we got more turnover in the coming years with with the the teams being added to this conference. Yeah, absolutely. So, Leon, with that being said, let's just kind of jump into it because one program where there was not change, there was change last year, but no change this year and really not one of those offenses that we're super excited about. And that's Lance Leipold's offense over at Kansas, where he changed it last year. You know, a lot of excitement for Devin Neal. Um, but, you know, you take a look at this offseason and they added some depth with Kai Thomas and Sevion Morrison. So, for, you know, for as excited a lot of people were about, you know, as they were about Devin Neal last year, kind of worried about what kind of system we're going to get here. Is Neal going to be a workhorse back or are we going to see you know, maybe just a running back by committee approach, maybe Rod the hot hand. What's your thoughts here? I still like Neil, the best of these three. I think he's going to get the most work in the backfield. And in my opinion, when you have an offense like they're going to run at Kansas, not necessarily sure you have enough depth because there's a lot of emphasis at the running back spot. Yeah. Um, you know, I was looking back uh, at Buffalo because I remember talking about this last year where I, everybody was kind of jumping in on Devin Neal, right, as a, a first-round dynasty draft pick. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, it's going to – it might take a little bit of time for for Leipold to get his, his system implemented, get the talent, I think, is more important than than the system uh, at, a, at a place like Kansas. And, you know, they produce pretty good numbers, particularly at the end of the year. And I look back to Buffalo – and it was just, it was staggering almost. They started off in Leipold's first year. They started off pretty well. And they just took a dip that second year. I think it was like 16 points a game. They actually had a thousand yard rusher that year, but that offense was terrible. They threw like 12 or 13 uh, touchdown passes. It was really that third year that the Buffalo offense really kind of became that Buffalo offense that we, we you know, we got to know. Uh, under Leipold so I don't think actually we have to worry about it this 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 uh, drop off in in year two they return 76 percent of their offensive production from last year four starters back in the uh, O-line and kind of like you said they're deep in the backfield with with Neil and and Kai Thomas who funny you know there's there's some separation between the running back one and the running back two in this system where I think on average, it's like 50 carries more for the running back one over the over the backup. But I mean, Kai Thomas, especially with all those injuries last year, proves he's pretty capable in the backfield at, at Minnesota last year. So um interested to see kind of how the carries are divvied out there. 
And then a quarter of it. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. Finish that point. Yeah, no, I was going to just hit on 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 quarterback a little bit with uh, Jalen Daniels because, um, you know, he was really good yep. the second half of, uh, or the last month, I should say, of last year. And, you know, I kind of saw a few people touting him up a little bit. I haven't drafted him just because I think, I don't, you know, what do I care about a Kansas quarterback typically? But, I mean, he had, what, 33 fantasy points against Texas. I think he had 29 against maybe West Virginia. So, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he's he's talented, not built the same, definitely not built the same way as a Tyree, uh, Tyree Jackson. Remember him from Buffalo yep. a few years back? I mean, Jalen Daniels is only six feet tall, about 200 pounds, but you know, Jackson averaged around 25 fantasy points in back-to-back years uh, at Buffalo. So I'm, I, I'm curious to see if he ends up becoming a, a relevant option at quarterback. You know, it's interesting. We're spending a, you know, quite some time on Kansas here just to kick off the conference. The one thing, and you and I talk about this from time to time when we're talking about fantasy value, that concerns me more about Kansas and drawing comparisons to Leipold's Buffalo's team, Buffalo, uh, you know, teams is that Kansas still looks to be, at least on paper right now, still the worst program in the conference, right? Whereas Buffalo was always middle to upper tier of the MAC, And so you just wonder sometimes, you know, when they're playing sometimes the Texases or the Oklahomas or Oklahoma States, as, as you mentioned, Daniels had some big games. You know, if they're behind trailing in those games, you know, does it really give them a chance to establish the running game, which is so, sort of the calling card of Leipold's offenses, over four quarters. And that's why I'm a, still a little concerned right now about the Kansas offense and investing really for me, I'm not really investing any draft capital right now into the Kansas backfield, but I know that players like Devin Neal can be had on the cheap later on in the back end drafts. And, you know, it's not worth it, You know, it's worth a, it's, it's worth a shot at that particular point from a value standpoint, because we're not seeing any guys from this squad or this program going off in mid rounds of any drafts that we're in. Yeah, I think in standard drafts, you can get Devin Neal as, as your, you know, maybe RB3, uh, probably best as RB4. Um, Kai Thomas, even in this 35-round uh, best ball that I'm in, he's not being drafted. And and while we project Neal to be the starter, I mean, Kai Thomas is going to get a heavy dosage of carries. Maybe he even turns out to be the starter. You don't know for sure at this point. So, um, yeah, I mean you get these guys late, you know, you're not have, doing heavy draft capital. So, and then Jalen Daniels, just uh, kind of week to week, maybe waiver wire pickup yep. uh, given the matchup. Let's go jump over to TCU, Mike, uh, where for, for me and for you, a lot of the talk has been the, the, you know, at quarterback, right. Who's going to go ahead and lead this offense. We know that they have some weapons, at least a very good weapon at Quinton Johnston at receiver, which you and I are both high on this year. But we look at Chandler Morris and we, we look at Max Duggan and we wonder if either of those guys are just a great fit for the system. I, I think both of us would probably say they're not. But the question is, are, are they going to look to to go into the season with these two guys? Would they add someone late? I don't know. Um, you know, this one makes me nervous. You know, I, it almost feels like in the drafts, this is a handcuff situation. You draft one, you almost have to take two, particularly in best ball drafts. Where are you at with TCU right now? Yeah, I wish I had Chandler Morris's ADP up right now. I don't, but, um, you know, I, I you said you're nervous about the quarterback 
uh, competition. I think a lot of people are because these guys, I mean, this is an offense that averaged around 300 yards passing per game, you know, the last three years at SMU. Yet these quarterbacks are going late teens, early 20 rounds, maybe Chandler Morris. Yeah. Uh, and then you pick up Max Duggan as a handcuff a few weeks later. So I think a lot of people are nervous about this situation. You read the spring reports. It was like, all right, one day Chandler Morris is with the first team. The next day, Mac Duggan is with the first team offense. And, and it was just that way in terms of their performance too, is one guy's doing well the first day and the, the next guy, the other. So, um, you know, do they have their guy right now? I don't know. We'll figure that out in the fall. Um, if you want to invest in this offense, I'd say it's Quentin Johnston and maybe uh, a Kendra Miller um, in the later rounds of draft. I was actually looking at Kendra Miller a little bit, uh, a little bit more this morning. And, and, you know, that offensive line, I think for TCU is going to be really good. Um, their center is an all American or all, all conference candidate. They really like their, their one of their younger tackles. They brought over a four-year transfer from SMU who's going to start immediately. So I think that's a, if they're, while they're figuring out the passing game, I think their running game should be at least kind of get them started, right? And and I think Kendrick Miller, and, and now we, you like to mention this as well, we have clarity now with that that backfield depth chart with Treline Smith moving out and, and uh, Amani Bailey now probably solidified as that running back too. So I'm interested in that running game as well. So what's really interesting is the last best ball draft we did, you got Kendra Miller in round 16, which is really good value for that pick on where he's going. And just to give everyone an idea that do not have a copy of the preseason fantasy draft guide, we do have the results from the first two industry best ball drafts and interesting enough in that first draft Max Duggan I believe went in round 18 or 19 and Chandler Morris in the second draft I believe was the first TCU quarterback at around 18 19 so both of those guys right now according to a lot of us that draft you know you you know if you want to get into a handcuff situation both of those guys are still available after the round 15 so you don't really have to go up too early uh, to, to get either one of them. And in, in, like I said, in best ball situations, particularly in drafts, like we had, you're probably looking at handcuff situations. Yeah, absolutely. What about Iowa state, Mike, where there is turnover at quarterback, but obviously the big question will be the running back spot where Matt Campbell has been known for turning out fantasy monsters at running back. Brock Purdy's gone at quarterback, so we know he's going to be replaced. But, man, that running back spot at Iowa State right now, we're looking at Jarrell Brock eyeing that running back one spot. But by no means do you and I think that it's a lock uh, that he you know, finishes out this season as running back one. There are some possibilities other, you know, looking elsewhere. But I, I think for the time being, you and I have Brock locked into that one spot for now, right? For now. Yes. For now, I'm trying to use the words. I'm trying to use our words carefully here. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we would. I, I would put the likelihood at at close to 100 that, um, you know, we would use for now if we were doing this show two days before week one, right? I think Jarrell Brock's going to start the season, and you know, I think he's looked good at times in the backfield, but. Um, you know, I know you don't look at the preseason magazines, but 
I, I think I texted you like all caps of wow after I read that that Bill Steele has Cartavius Norton, the 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 incoming freshman as the running back one there. So I think in the earlier best balls that we were doing, and and I, I would say with the the best balls that that we've done for the site, you've only seen Jarrell Brock being drafted. Now I don't want to just say, oh, because you know, a magazine published. Cartavius Norton as the starter that that we all of a sudden now need to handcuff but I just I think it would be good business to invest in a Matt Campbell running back one because what have they averaged over the last you know decade you know 1200 yards probably 14 touchdowns or something from the running back one so you just you want to invest in this backfield I think the offensive line is going to be better three three starters back one guy's flipping to his more conventional conventional position. Uh, they're getting another starter back from injury that didn't play last year. So I think the offensive line will be better. So I'm I'm if I'm drafting Brock now, I'm I am just playing it safe and handcuffing with Cartavius Norton. And I think that's important. You know, we talk about it all the time about how it's just easy when these programs have the returning starters. Uh, like they had last year at Iowa State. And now you get to a situation and, you know, you and I also look at the schedule quite a bit too. So let's look at Iowa State's schedule to start the year. Southeast Missouri first game, right? They're probably not going to get a lot of competition or we don't expect them to, right? So even if Brock does start, you would expect that one of the younger guys, if not a couple, are going to get some carries there. Then they go to Iowa the second game of the year there's a chance where the Iowa state running game really doesn't get off the ground right there. Right. And so all of a sudden now you've got the following week with Iowa. I mean, against Ohio, where you can see some rotation coming through, they follow that up with a home game against Baylor, who you and I, you know, expect to have one of the better defenses in the back in the, in the big 12. Right. So we've got Brock in that running back one spot. There's a chance Brock could stick as running back one for three or four weeks, but that doesn't mean there's not going to be any rotation. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, I'm a little, I'm a, the reason why I haven't jumped on Brock this year so far in drafts is that I'm just a little concerned that once the Cyclones get four or five games down the line, then we might really truly see them settle into what the depth chart's going to be from that point on. And there's going to be some young guys that could get some carries right now. We know that Campbell loves to ride that running back one, but if those two of those first four games, they struggle maybe at Iowa and home against Baylor and get that running game slow out of the gate. They're not going to be afraid to mix some guys in there, particularly if they know that they've got long-term potential out of some of those guys. And so that's my concern with Brock coming out of the gate. Sound fair? Same argument with DJU, wouldn't you say? They, yes. They I think there's pressure on both of those players. They need to perform immediately. And I, I mean, uh, Matt Campbell, he, he, you could see in the quotes that he was talking about in the spring, like he was kind of putting pressure on Brock, like, Hey, we like these guys, you know, Eli Sanders, Deion Silas, some of the guys on the backfield along with Norton. So uh, I think he needs to perform right out of the gate. Now that. with us saying that, let's not forget that Brock did start the bowl game against Clemson and didn't look bad. I mean, he looked actually pretty good against a solid Clemson defense. So I'm not knocking Brock and I'm not saying it's, it isn't going to happen, but the, you know, there's some hesitation. There's a little bit of hesitation there because we're just not hundred percent sure yet. Right. Correct. Now over at Kansas state, 
we know what's going on in the backfield there. We were a little concerned about Deuce Vaughn and how he'd hold up last year. And that's that concern has just come and gone out the window, man. They bring in Adrian Martinez now from Nebraska. Um, probably a better fit for him. Um, you know, I, there's going to be potential given his skill set in that offense. So that for me is the more intriguing piece at Kansas State where it's pretty straightforward, right? You've got Deuce Vaughn, and now we're trying to decide where should we value Adrian Martinez in this offense. He come, you know, he's working with Colin Klein, who's a former fantasy great and quarterback of his own at Kansas State. So we'll kind of see what his influence will be with Martinez and really if Martinez, you know, with, you know, the, the offense that they run at Kansas state, is it a little bit more simplified so that he doesn't make the mistakes maybe, or can be a little bit more efficient than he was at Nebraska. You like Adrian Martinez a little bit more than me, but I think, you know, a lot of that comes from my feelings about his performance over at Nebraska. Right. But really Mike, other than those two guys, are we really looking anywhere else at Kansas state? Before I go into that, I'm very proud of you for not going on a, a expletive rant about Adrian Martinez being the Nebraska fan that you are. Um, probably caused you a lot of pain and frustration over the last three years. Look, it's a different <laughs> year, Mike. It's a different year. We're moving on. We, we, Adrian Martinez is no longer wearing red. So. Um, yeah, I mean, with with Adrian Martinez, I I do I think I like him more than you, but I'm also not as close to the situation as you've been in the past. Um, the the offense is interesting because they, you know, that you mentioned it. They bring in Colin Klein as the OC, and he kept mentioning like during the during the spring that they want to play a little bit more up tempo. Um, they're gonna they're gonna definitely change some things uh, there with the offense with him in charge. You know, I was just looking back to where, you know, he's always been around the the Kansas State program, but when he was like an offensive assistant, so he wasn't calling plays or anything, but, you know, they gave like the starters back in 2014, 2015, uh, like Jake Waters, you remember those names, a Joe Kubner. I mean, those guys were getting 150, 160 carries a season. And um, I mean, you know, you can knock Adrian Martinez as a passer, but if he gets that type of rushing workload you're looking at at least 500 yards you're looking at at least six to seven rushing touchdowns and I'd say that is an absolute floor for Adrian Martinez so um you know I like him this year um but yeah to answer your first question outside of Martinez and Vaughn no I'm not looking anywhere else the the only reason why you and I have kind of gone a little bit back and forth on Adrian Martinez is just when you look at the Kansas State offense last year I know there's a lot of a lot of people that might think well he's going from Nebraska to Kansas State a little bit more of a run heavy offense maybe a little bit more simplified offense but really look back and I mentioned this in the preseason fantasy draft guide in the write-up for Adrian Martinez. When you look at Kansas State's offense last year, I think they might have played one more game than Nebraska, but they only threw 31 fewer passes than Nebraska. So it's not like Kansas State doesn't throw the ball in that offense, right? So Martinez more than likely will be throwing the ball almost as much as he did last year at Nebraska. And, or and better or worse. <laughs> right, right. But, but the offense may be tailored for more towards his running style where last year, a lot of his big plays at Nebraska were breaking out of the pocket, making big runs on called pass plays, 
where I think there'll be a little bit more design run calls for him this year. And, you know, that kind of takes him off the hook a little bit with his decision-making. So yeah, this argument can be made both ways. And let's be honest, he's really, you know, Vaughn's a monster there. He's going to get his numbers. And really from there, it's just going to be how efficient Kim Martinez play. But I think we both agree that those are the two guys that we're targeting there for Kansas state, at least that most people should be targeting in their fantasy drafts. Now, there's going to be quite a few options over at West Virginia where Graham Harrell has come over uh, from after leaving USC to take over the offense at West Virginia. He recruits in JT Daniels, who, you know, he had a relationship with at USC, transferred to West Virginia after a stop at Georgia, right? You've got Bryce Ford Wheaton, who you and I are probably, you know, pretty high on as, as sort of the, the Mountaineers wide receiver one. You've got another option in Sam James. There are some options there in the backfield at West Virginia. So there's a few options here fantasy wise at West Virginia. Where are you kind of looking at? Give us a lay of the land at West Virginia, Mike. Yeah, I've kind of changed my tune here just a little bit. Um, I really, I like the addition of JT Daniels at quarterback. I think just him being familiar uh, with Graham Harrell, I think that should be a, a very seamless transition. I really like the wide receivers this year. Um, there's a couple reasons. One, you just look back over the last few years under Graham Harrell, their top three wide receivers account for nearly 70% of the receiving production. That's a huge, uh, that's a huge share of the, the receiving production. And that works with West Virginia, because I think we would agree that with between Sam James and, and Ford Wheaton and Caden Prather, that those are the top three going into this year. So, and I think there's some separations between the backups. So I think those are the top three they're going to get, I would assume between 60 and 70% of that, that target share. And I, to make another comparison to USC, I like this trio in comparison to what USC had in 2019, where you get Bryce where Wheaton's kind of the possession guy similar vein to Tyler Vaughn's you get the the slot receiver debt I'm not and and let me preface this by saying I'm not saying they're comparable talents but just in the way that they're used uh just kind of familiar from the spring game Sam James in the slot with um, Amon Ross St. Brown and then where I'm changing my tune is I'm starting to like Caden Prather a little bit more you can get him at a value I think in the last best ball I got him maybe five to six rounds after Bryce Ford Wheaton. And I really see him in a similar vein to uh, Michael Pittman Jr. You know, a former four star, six foot four, 215 pounds. And if you watch the spring game, they were just chucking it to him deep and and giving him the red zone shots. Um, You know, they're giving him a lot of jump ball opportunities similar to Michael Pittman. So I really do. I, I'm still not changing wide receiver one, Bryce Ford Wheaton, but I do. I would. I would get uh, some shares of Caden Prather as well because, yeah, I think, like I spoke to the the high uh, target share with those guys. I think looking back at Harold's offense, I mean, the, the top three receivers can be fantasy uh, factors. There's no doubt about that. Or are we just to ignore the running back spot? I know we've got Tony Matheson there. Harold's offense does, will produce a decent fantasy running back. If utilized properly, you've got Lynn J. Dixon still there. I know there's a lot of people still questioning whether or not he'll be a factor this year. We have Mathis sort of penciled in at that running back one spot, maybe feel he might be a better fit for the offense. But should, you know, right now there's not a lot of tension 
being given to the West Virginia running backs in fantasy drafts, probably rightly so. And I think to your point, from a value standpoint, there's the West Virginia running backs are going very late, if at all, in yeah. most of our last, drafts. last pick in your draft, if you want to draft yeah. Tony Mathis, who's the running back one, you're looking at 180 carries max in the system yep. from the running back one. So where we're not looking uh, under value and running back, but have questions is when we skip over to Baylor. Uh, you know, we view them as one of the top programs in the conference right now, solid defense. Blake Shapin's going to be at quarterback. Not much proven depth at receiver, if any at all, Mike, coming back. The strength's going to be in the defense and the running game for Baylor, right? Maybe the passing game between the quarterback and the tight end. Not a lot of proven at receiver. But you and I have kind of, you know, gone with, you know, looked at Tay McWilliams, Craig Williams, wondering, you know, we were really high on Tay McWilliams in the beginning. We, we kind of came back and kind of brought those guys a little bit closer together, thinking there might be a little bit more parity in that backfield. We still like McWilliams, but we still feel there could be a little more parity in the backfield, at least to start off the year, don't we? Yeah, I, I think so. Um Tate McWilliams still projected running back one. Sure, um, He fits the system, 211 pounds. This is exactly what Jeff Grimes looks for uh, size-wise in his running backs. And, you know, you just kind of watch him a little bit. He's got some tight hips. So, but I'm not sure, like, it's it's a specific style of running back that fits this system where you, you with the, what's it, the wide zone gap scheme, whatever it's called. Like, you need, it's vision is paramount. Um, and, and he showed well in the spring game, but the, 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 what had me hesitant is that Craig Williams also looked pretty good, uh, running the football. He's had injury issues, uh, in the past, no surprise at 170 pounds soaking wet. So, um, I, we bunched them together, I think late in our, our projection process. So I'm not. I'm not steering away from Tay McWilliams. I just have a little bit more hesitancy and, and maybe we just see them kind of utilize just the same distribution that Abram Smith and, and, and uh, Tristan Ebner had last year. Now with that, with that being said, keep in mind, there's tremendous value in there. If one of these guys break out, cause we know they're going to put the ball on the ground, Mike. So there is huge potential for one of these guys and we're siding with Tay McWilliams, you know, all things considered equal where we stand right now, if we're going to roll the dice, this is, these are one of those picks where, where particularly in, in traditional fantasy drafts, where you might go get McWilliams a little bit earlier because of the upside in the offense. And if it doesn't work out, he's not going to be on your roster, maybe five, you know, three or four weeks later, but in an offense that is projected to be as run heavy as Baylor is, it's th- this is one of those where you, you if you really like them you go up and you might be able to catch that upside yeah and I I, I think you know do we think that they're going to perform at the level of Abram Smith no but you know you get four offensive linemen back this year from what was they tailed off at the at, in the second half of last season but what was one a top 20 offensive line in the country last year so I think it just sets up well for them to to succeed, you know, not at the same level, but this will be one of the better running games in the country. Yeah. And now I can see where a lot of people were just kind of hoping we'd get to this point in the Texas tech, right. Where Zach Kitley came over from Western Kentucky. And a lot of people want, a lot of people wondering, is this going to be Western Kentucky 2.0 all over again? 
you know, there's questions, right? I mean, we're looking at Tyler Shug, probably the starting quarterback. You know, I'm going to have some thoughts uh, on that that I'll go into a little bit. Uh, but the wide receivers are deep, right? We've got Miles Price, probably the most proven commodity coming back. You and I have him. I think both of us have him at least in our top 12 wide receivers. He's going early in a lot of best ball drafts. But there's other options there at receivers as as well. So, you know, we could spend a few minutes here. Where where are the one or two points you want to start with Texas Tech, Mike? Uh, I it's semantics, but I disagree slightly on this wide receiver core being deep. I, I, I it's just a mixed bag, and we don't know who that second guy is going to be aside from Miles Price. Start off with Miles Price; he's going to be wide receiver one. Last four years, slot receiver under Kitley has been the wide receiver one that's established. Um, couldn't tell you who's going to be wide receiver two. I don't think we got any indications during the spring. And I know after reading that Texas Tech was in the portal looking for, for potential replacements. So I'm not exactly sure that they're settled at wide receiver. And it's a big disparity of like, yeah, the last three years at Houston Baptist and Western Kentucky, you're looking at 73 receptions from the wide receiver too. That first year that Kitley was at Houston Baptist, 29 receptions and five touchdowns from the wide receiver too. Yeah. So while it you can make the argument that you want to have, you know, shares of maybe somebody else besides Price, maybe this offense doesn't take off as it did with Western Kentucky last year. And Maybe you're just wasting a draft pick on on a position of wide receiver two that's not settled at the moment. Well, so first of all, I'll choose my words carefully next time because they do have depth at receiver. Depth and quality depth are two different Correct. things, yes. right? So yes. we know that they're going to be throwing the ball. We know the way the roster's built. Even look at Xavier White now transitioning back to receiver, possibly a former running back because of the depth they have in the backfield too. I don't know if that speaks to their running back depth or their lack of quality depth at receiver. And it probably is more of the latter, right? Or, you know, so Xavier White going there, you've got Jaron Brandley as well, right? I've even seen like Trey Cleveland's name, but still no quality depth in regards to, to proven commodities, right? So what really makes this interesting and, you know, somewhat similar to Western Kentucky last year, Mike, is that, there might be some player that either they bring in or there's a player there that we're not giving a lot of attention to right now. We know what the offense can be, right? The question is whether or not we're going to know some of the names out of the gate other than Miles Price, right? Yeah. I mean, you could also debate whether or not this offense is going to take off in year one because, you know, what they did it last year because Kitley had his, almost entire Houston Baptist offense with them at Western Kentucky. That's not the case this year. He doesn't have, you know, a three-year starter uh, in Bailey Zappi, uh, you know, that knows this system as, uh, in and out as his, as his starting quarterback this year. It's it's Tyler Shuck and, and Baron Morton at this point. And, you know, who's to say it, it takes off like it did a year ago? I, I think we, again, smart business, I think, to 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 invest in this system as we've seen, but um yeah i mean you, you, you and i have no go ahead go ahead go ahead you look at the numbers in the first you look at the numbers in that first year 
at Houston Baptist. And they were, I mean, it was the wide receiver one that that produced probably, I think, 70 some receptions. And then, like I mentioned, it was it was 30 receptions from the the the, the wide receiver two. I, I don't think it was much difference from the wide receiver three. So the personnel is not Houston Baptist moving over to 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 Lubbock this year. It's it's or Western Kentucky to Lubbock, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, this was something you and I have spent some time on because I've got a couple of thoughts here before we move on. And, you know, that system came in last year at Western Kentucky. You know, Kitley came into Conference USA, which, you know, that's not a great conference. But Western Kentucky did perform well against Indiana and Michigan State. Very respectable numbers, right? So if he can do it there, he can do that against some big 12 defenses. The one thing he had was unbelievable chemistry with players that knew the system, right? That's more of what we're, I think, concerned about this year, because here's my thought. There's a lot of, do we miss out on the next Bailey Zappi? And I know right now we have Tyler Shug in that quarterback one spot. This was something that I I talked to you about a number of times. I'm really worried about whether or not he's going to stick and this offense doesn't get turned over to Baron Morton at some point during the season because I referenced the schedule. You and I looked at it. They open with Murray State, right? If they're undecided coming out of camp, there's a chance that maybe both guys get some playing time in that opener. Then they play Houston, which might be one of the top, if not the top team in AAC this year. They go to NC State the following week. That's not going to be an easy game. NC State at least has a decent defense, and they have a very good offense. Then they get Texas at home. Then they go on the road at Kansas State, at Oklahoma State. Mike, there is a really good chance that one, two, three, four, five. There's a chance the Red Raiders can start here one and six, one and you know two and five. And then at that particular point, if you're not exactly grooving at a high level, you probably turn the offense over to Baron Morton at that point. And that's why I have not gone with Tyler Shug in any of my drafts. You and I have talked about this. And I like to I like to reference that beginning of the season. You know, if we were sitting here and they were, you know, they kind of had a cupcake schedule the first three weeks of the season, I'd feel much differently than I do right now. But given the way the schedule shakes out, for me, if they struggle out the gate, it almost feels like this has got Baron Morton midseason written all over it. Yeah, I remember watching a, a video from the Texas Tech beat writer right after spring camp concluded. And you know, he was doing like a mailbag where, where subscribers were asking him questions. And the last question was, who's the quarterback to start the year and who's the quarterback to end the year? Put a gun to your head. And he said, Tyler Shuck is a starter opening week one. He said, I'm going with Baron Morton to close the season. So, yep. And I, I feel the same way. So. Uh, let's hop over to Oklahoma State where there's no concern at quarterback. Spencer Sanders is back again for a 62nd year uh, in, a, in a Cowboys uniform. Uh, but, you know, wide receiver one there, outside receiver, there's some question marks there. It looks like we're going to get Dominic Richardson as the running back one out of the gate. Gundy has already been on record to say, hey, look, this guy's probably going to have to tote the ball, you know, 15, 18, 20 times a game for us out of the gate. There's not a lot of proven depth behind him, although it is Oklahoma State. We know that they do have some talent on the roster. Um, One, I'll ask you two questions. Well, three questions here, because I'm not going to go without giving you a Spencer Sanders win. You were high on Sanders a couple, or were you just maybe, will this final season of eligibility be it for him? 
are we high enough or undervaluing Dominic Richardson? And do we have Jaden Bray pegged as uh, we have Jaden Bray as that wide receiver one? How comfortable do you feel with that Jaden Bray as wide receiver one right now? Uh, I'll start with the first one with my Spencer Sanders infamous top five ranking from a few years ago. Okay. I mean, look, system wise, nobody's been better than, I mean, nobody is really better than Mike Gundy at producing fantasy, um, fantasy studs at regardless of position. And you're telling me that I've got a a high four-star quarterback in Spencer Sanders, and this is hindsight, but you're telling me he can't replicate a top five season from a guy that had a hairline looking just like this and Taylor Cornelius, like, come on. I, 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 other people were thinking Spencer Sanders could be, could be top 20 good back, you know, way back when he's not anymore, of course, but um, I don't know. Spencer Sanders, I, I think of him the same way that I do in, in the last year as well, right? He's a top 30, 40 quarterback and he'll give you 40 points a week and he'll throw 40 interceptions the next. So I think he's flash, Mike, I have him 13 spots, uh, spots higher than you in ranking. So I do like Spencer Sanders this year. (laughs) Well, I mentioned this in the last pod, these dual threat quarterbacks pop in our projections. So it's just, you want Spencer Sanders in a best ball format. That's end of discussion there. Um, Jaden Bray, I'm very high on, um, have been since last year. You know, he caught a touchdown in the spring game last year. Oklahoma State reporting is really tough to come by for some reason, you know, for a Big 12 school, but he had another big spring game. Just kind of reading the tea leaves there, he's the guy that most project to have a breakout season. So, um, and and you mentioned it too in in kind of the opening there, it's always the wide receiver one under Gundy. It is always the wide receiver. I'm sorry, let me say that again. Always the outside Outside. receiver that ends up being the wide receiver one under Gundy. That's been the case the last eight years. Expect that to continue. Um, and, and, And to close on Dominic Richardson, I think I sent you that video too. Um, you know, you listened during spring to Mike Gundy talk about Dominic Richardson. Now I want to, I'm going to read the quote, um, and, and you can take it one of two ways. It's interesting. He's like, they asked about Dominic Richardson. He's like, Hey, he's a power back. He's going to grind out yards. Gundy said, he'll have his hands full in that first game, carrying it 18 to 20 times. We love that. And then he said, he doesn't have a choice. Now, we love that he's going to get the 18 to 20 carries in that opening week. And we'll see how he, he does beyond that. But yeah, you know, I mean, does it necessarily speak highly of him that he, when it, Gundy says he doesn't have a choice to give Richardson 18 to 20 carries a game, or is it just more speaking to the fact that there's no confidence in the guys behind Richardson and he just has to lean on him because I got nobody else. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what transpires with Richardson. I'm interested to see because well, the one thing that plays see. in the Richardson's hand, and again, we're going to reference this as well. And this is really important coming out the gate home game against central Michigan to kind of kick off the year. Right. So it's not like they're, they're playing a solid uh, P five opponent. Then they get Arizona state at home, Arizona state, that program kind of in shambles. I'm, I'm sure they'll still maybe be decent this year, but 
Central Michigan, Arizona State, Arkansas Pine Bluff to start the year. The schedule is set that if Dominic Richardson comes out of the gates fast, he probably sticks at running back one for us all year. Yep. Uh, Ollie Gordon, I know people are hyping him up. I did like the quote from Gundy that um, he's Gordon's around 230 pounds right now, and he's expected to run under a 4'6", which is enticing at that size, but it doesn't sound like he's – I mean, I don't think he was there in the spring, so I, I, I'd assume he's got some work to do to, and, to challenge Richardson. Yeah, and just as a reference point, you and I have Richardson right around that 20 mark, so we view him as a top 20 running back going into the season, all things considered, the way the schedule shakes out, the potential early on, and the chance to stick, so – Take that for what it's worth. Now, let's stick within the state, Mike, Oklahoma, where there were some changes as well, right? Many changes. Uh, and then Dylan Gabriel's coming over into that offense now. You've got Eric Gray that comes back. Uh, is this potential for Marvin Mims to finally just have that breakout year that we've always wanted from him? You've got Javante Barnes coming in, the freshman running back as well. There's a bunch of different ways that we can go here. You and I, when you look at quarterbacks, we kind of have our top quarterbacks and then Dylan Gabriel's like right at the next level, right? He's one of those guys that we feel is top 10 material. Where are you assessing this Oklahoma offense this year with Venables coming in uh, and, you know, taking over the team and Lebby coming over to take, take over the offense? Yeah, I was slightly, slightly hesitant, but then I watched the spring game and, and, you know, we know Dylan Gabriel played with Jeff Levy at UCF, and you just watch the spring game, and he was just zipping it all over the field. That offense was moving at a lightning pace, and that just that increased my interest in Gabriel in this offense because I just think it's going to be a seamless transition for him in particular. Maybe maybe the the level of competition moving over from the AAC to Big Twelve, sure, uh, you know, proves to be a, 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 a you know a tough task for him, but. Um, you know, this is an offense that just moves at a lightning fast pace. You know, you're going to be top 10 in, in pace every single year. And, you know, I, I think <laughs> if properly utilized, Gabriel's got the weapons with, with a Marvin Mims in particular, because, you know, hope, he was, he was, he was barely on the field half the game uh, of the offensive snaps. He's on the field under Lincoln Riley. I still don't know the reason for that, but Hopefully this this uh, new coaching regime utilizes Mims to his potential because I mean he he averaged 22 yards a catch last year and and you know what do you have 50 60 targets like yeah. imagine him getting 100 110 targets with his uh, you know breakout ability right I, I think it's enticing um, to see what Mims might do this year in that offense. And his chances we'll find out very quickly as the Sooners open up with UTEP and Kent State to start the year. So two, two matchups that really give Oklahoma to show us what they are, who they're going to be, and establish that identity this year and what, how the offense is going to look uh, over the course of the season. And then, of course, we're going to end with Texas, Mike. Bijan Robinson, one of our top fantasy quarterbacks, I mean, I'm sorry, top fantasy running backs, if not the number one ranked running back. I know in your rankings, you've got Quinn Ewers that come in, a lot of hype for him around that passing game with Xavier Worthy, Worthy coming back, Isaiah Nair coming in, uh, Ajay Hall over there as well at Texas. So 
a lot of weapons that Sarkeesian has at his disposal now. And I think for you and I, the big question, you know, every time we kept putting Texas under the microscope and really looking at the offense, it was like we were starting with Quinn Ewers here. We were a little hesitant. No, you know, doesn't, he's not proven yet at the, at the collegiate level. And then we're like, oh man, but he's got these weapons. We moved him up. He was a guy that kind of kept crepping up our list. You know, he was creeping up our list the more and more we analyzed and looked at the Texas offense, right? Yeah, it's it's a situation I alluded to it with Spencer Sanders where, you know, the dual threats always kind of pop in our projections. Well, Quinn Ewers is not going to run. Sarkeesian doesn't want to do that with his quarterbacks. Um, So if you're a non-runner and you want to be a top 10 quarterback, we need you to throw for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. Like that just has to happen. And, and for a guy, get it all the, all the arm talent in the world, five-star prospect, but you know, we haven't really seen you in a, a, with the live bullets um, in a game that matters. So there's a little bit of hesitancy with me there you know, in drafts with people that are just, they're already full on believers, right? So they're drafting them third, fourth rounds, have them top 10 picks. So, um, I mean, you, I just kind of look back with Sarkeesian and some of his quarterbacks, you know, averaging 29 fantasy points per game. Um, you know, he had Tua and, and Mac Jones, uh, both finished inside the top 15, I think comparable to yours in the sense of that they're non-runners and, you know, their touchdown interception ratio was 74 to six or 74 to seven, I think in, in two seasons. And they finished top 15, like yours needs to be the, you know, he needs to, like I said, 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns to wind up a top 10 pick. So um, I'm intrigued, but I guess I, I'm not willing to go up to the, to spend the capital that uh, a lot of others are this year. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I know where I sit as well, and this is something that you and I talked about, I think with so much of the attention coming in, uh, that's going to be defensively people honing in on Xavier Worthy. I, I, I look at that Isaiah Nair acquisition of him coming in. I, 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 I'm wondering if we're undervaluing him a little bit. There's so many weapons between Bijan and Worthy. I, I think he could be a little bit undervalued in this offense. This This offense has potential to have two really good fantasy receivers in it. and I'm wondering I think I'm a little higher on Nair than most but I, I, I my concern is that we're undervaluing him a little bit in an offense that seems to have weapons all over the field I know they brought in Billingsley over from Alabama at tight end as well so no shortage of weapons on the field the question is, is can they put it all together yeah I think that that's kind of my hesitation I mean I was going to talk on that. You, that's kind of my, was my hesitation with even Xavier Worthy is that you got Nair who looked really good in the spring game. I think he's going to fit exactly what they are going to want viewers to do. Like, what do you want viewers to do? You want them to chuck it deep, right? That's, that's Nair's specialty. Yep. You know, Jordan Whittington still around. Ajay Hall, I, I you know, uh, Josh texted me, Josh Chevalier, a friend of the site, and texted me and said, you know, hey, he's he's looking good in summer workouts, so he could be a factor. So I was like starting to worry here. Like I have a lot of I have a lot of shares of Xavier Worthy. You know, are there are there too many weapons here where he can't live up to 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 his first round uh status? But then you just kind of look back over the years with Sarkeesian, and he's got 
just countless top 20, top t- uh, multiple top 10 fantasy wide receivers that he's produced. So um, I that's you know, I think it bodes well for just Quinn Ewer that that this offense, he's got so many weapons that it's it's tough to see him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and look, like you said, yeah, Nayer coming in six foot three, about 218, 20 pounds around there. He caught 12 touchdowns last year, which was more than the Wyoming offense uh, had in three seasons from 2018 to 2020. So definitely talent coming in. The question is, can they put it together and, and how will it be spread out, Mike? So that's going to do it for the big 12, man. Uh, look, we're, we're four shows in uh, that's going to do it. The next time we get we sit down behind the mic, we'll probably jump into the MAC conference. We're still alternating big, you know, P five, G five. So we're almost halfway home on these. And and fortunately for you and I, there hasn't been a ton of of, of attrition or transfers go in and out of the portal since we started doing these. That's always the challenge. We we try to wait for the dust to settle as much as possible. But you know as well as I, you know, in another couple of weeks, maybe even before we're even done this series, there's probably going to be some major transfer that either hits the portal or comes out of the portal, don't you think? Yeah, you're going to check Twitter after this, after you finish this podcast, <laughs> and there's going to be somebody transferring. It's just the way it goes. Exactly. Well, look, that's it for the CFF site. My name is Joe DeSalvo, and for Mike Bainbridge, that's going to put a, a bow on the Big 12 conference in this preseason preview series. Next up, the MAC. We'll see you guys on the next show.